But there was a time in the run when I was eight miles in at 16 miles to go. By the way, up until this point, I had never run more than 15 miles. I never, so I'm like getting in way over my head after this whole thing. And I, I see my family on the course. I see my wife and she's crying and she gives me this big hug and she, I'm in trouble. Like I'm, I am really, really, really hurting. And she hugs me and she, she whispers to me, she says, finish this thing and let's go home. Let's finish this thing and go home. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ingrained and Balanced podcast. Today we're gonna to be speaking with Patrick Quinn. He's gonna share his amazing life's journey with us and, and talk about what's inspired him and motivated him to accomplish all the things he has. What an amazing story, a little bit about him. He started playing hockey in college, but then he went on uh, to be a national champion in the U.S. speed skating program. And then from that, he went on to be a member of the U.S. national luge team. He was a World Cup medalist and, and an actual alternate to the 2006 U.S. Olympic luge team. Pretty impressive. Then professionally, he went on to work in the sports marketing world. Uh, he represented different athletes. He worked extensively in action, endurance, and lifestyle sports, consulting, securing endorsement deals with countless Fortune 500 companies, including Nike, McDonald's, Powerade, Wheaties, just to name a few. It was about 10 years ago that he made a concerted effort to represent more Paralympic athletes. And in doing so, studying this group is what led him to challenge himself once again got into doing an Ironman. I mean, crazy. Uh, not in your his 30s, 40s. It was in his 50s. Pretty impressive. It was that experience. He, he learned a lot and suffered a lot as well. We're going to learn more on what he's doing today to stay healthy, maintain balance as it relates to his life. He's still busy with work, family, kids, the whole shebang. So without any further ado, let's jump into it. All right, guys, here we go. Patrick, how are you today? I'm doing great. Doing great. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Of course, of course. Hey, first of all, I just want to thank you for taking the time out. I know you're a very busy guy. Um, I got, obviously, my co-host, Marty, there. Say hi, Marty. Hello, hello. Hey, Marty. Well, hey, Patrick, before we jump in and start learning a little bit about your story, wow, you've got an unbelievable story from an athlete, what you did as a young man to, to kind of got you to where you are now. I can't wait for people to hear. But before we do that, uh, I want to ask you something. We always ask our guests what they do every morning when they wake up. Do you practice the same habits every day? And if you do, could you share something that you did this morning with us? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, first thing for me, pretty much every day, not quite, is a workout. You know, if I don't, if I don't get my workout in before 7.30 in the morning, it's not going to happen. And so, you know, it's really, I have a great gym in my house. And very first thing is get out of bed, huge glass of water and get into the gym, you know, before you lose the mojo. So it, it starts with a workout every day. And, and as I've thought about that, one of the reasons I think that that is really impactful, not just for the physiological part, right? But before I even start my work day, I have accomplished something like the workout is done, you know, and I've said this, to my wife, before. my wife works out a bit as well. I have never, ever, ever finished a workout and said, oh God, I wish I didn't do that. Like you just, 
just Never. don't, right? It's like, oh, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad it's over, whatever. But you feel like you did something. And it's kind of a good way to, to then start your business day. Like, okay, I already got something checked off the list. Let's go. Uh, you're on, I'm on the same program you are. Is that something you kind of transitioned to later in life? Or is that something you started as, you know, routine from when you were, you know, in college athletics and things like that? Well, when I was an athlete, you had the luxury of kind of structuring your day around your workout, you know, like that was the main thing. And then you fit in everything else around it. That's not the case anymore. Like you got to get kids up for school. You got a lot of work to do, you know, a million other things. So I, I have kind of found this like comfort zone of where the workout either does or doesn't happen. And honestly, I really don't like to work out at other times. Like if I don't get my workout done in the morning and it's a weekend and, oh, I can go for a run in the afternoon or something. Uh, I just, it's harder to get it going. It just doesn't feel quite right. So I kind of like the zone that I'm in right now of first thing in the morning, knock it out. And then what else is there left to do? I've noticed that the more time I give myself to make excuses as to why I can just put it off for a little bit, the less likely it's going to happen at all. You just get busy, right? Like, you know, you're like, oh, I got to do this or I got to do that, you know, and all of a sudden it's four o'clock, you know, it's like, oh, I can't do that. You know, whatever. So yeah, I, I like to. Humans are great at rationalizing. At least I, am. I know that I am great at rationalizing. You know, and, you so. know, I will say this because my, my wife works out not quite as much as I do, but, but often, and she's a surgical nurse. So her job is a little, quite a bit different than mine. But, um, you know, we talk about it as well because sometimes the laundry's piling up or there's stuff that needs to be done around the house or whatever it is. But we have chosen to prioritize the workouts before other things that maybe you could choose to prioritize, right? Because you can't do everything. And so you get to choose where do we want to put the energy? And I think we get a lot out of that. You know, it certainly makes you look a certain way and feel a certain way and these sorts of things. But um, my kids and my wife joke, like, if I don't work out, maybe I'm a little more crabby than I should be or, you know, that kind of thing. So, okay, you know, so we're, we're, we do prioritize that, but it also means that some other things don't get done. Like we're, we're choosing that for our life. And that's okay. You yeah, know, depending absolutely. on the thing, that's okay. We all have to make choices. And like you said, prioritize, right? So sometimes, sometimes it comes first. Sometimes you won't be able to get it in and you have to forgive yourself and say, you know what? It just, it wasn't going to happen today. I just couldn't do it. And then, you know, forgive yourself and then wake up the next morning, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> next, tomorrow morning's another chance, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Making those excuses. I mean, I transitioned probably my late 30s. There was no way in my late 20s, early 30s, I was working out at five, six in the morning. <laughs> it was that was an impossible feat. But out of necessity, you get busier in life, things start happening. Like Marty said, you start making excuses, any excuse not to go at the end of the day. You actually ended up training for an Ironman. And even before that, you did some some hockey, some speed skating, some luge. How did you go from that to training to America, uh, an Ironman? What was the inspiration and why? <laughs> Gosh, that's a big question. I'll, I'll, try and, I'll try and keep it short here, short as I can. But uh, I grew up as an athlete. I had dreams of playing professional hockey, but I, I, I probably wasn't good enough to do that. And so I got out of college and time to get a real job. And so I started working in New York City and I began to learn marketing and advertising. But I still had this athletic itch and I kind of got into inline skate racing, rollerblade racing. This is many, many years ago. 
I got pretty good at it. And I wound up going to the national championships. I'm from out East in New York and the national championships are in Chicago. This is over the summer at one point. And some of the Olympic speed skating coaches who had been in Milwaukee, they were based in Milwaukee at the time, came down to Chicago, just kind of scouting for talent, uh, you know, in the summertime, they saw me compete and they said, Hey, you know, we think you have some potential. Why don't you come up to the Olympic training center and give it a try? So of course I was being an athlete who never quite reached where I wanted to be. I was hugely flattered and I did, I went out there and I trained for about a week and I had been a hockey player. So I had, you know, getting on the ice was okay. I felt different, but there were a lot of similarities there. And when I finished, this coach said to me, if you want to quit your job in New York and, and move to Milwaukee, I'll train you for a shot at the 1998 Olympic team. So of course, you know, immensely flattered. I'm thinking to myself, this is a small window when I'm young enough to do this, like the business world I can figure out later. And so I did, I went back to New York, I quit my job, sold everything. I moved to Milwaukee and I began to train as a speed skater. And I began to do this for years. Well, you know, had this job, that job, I ran out of money and I needed to find a way to fund my own athletic pursuits. And so I went to one of these other skaters who I knew was a superstar because I'm competing against the guy every day. And I said, Hey, if I bring you a sponsor, can I take a piece of it? So he said what anybody else would say, knock yourself out, go get it. Right. You know? So I did, I went out and I sold a sponsorship for this guy and it was for a company called balance bar, which was like a power bar kind of company. He shows up at the rink and he's wearing the logos all over his uniform. And of course the next athlete says to him, well, where'd you get that? Like, how'd you get that sponsorship? Oh, Patrick did it for me. So the next athlete came to me and the next athlete came to me. And of course I knew who these talented people were because I was competing against them long before they came on the radar of most people, right? Because here I am day to day with them every day. So we jump ahead now to the 2002 Olympics. And now I have this little moonlight company going as I'm also training as an athlete, instead of taking a job as a waiter or whatever else, my side gig is sports agent. Well, we get to the Olympics that were in Salt Lake City and Team USA won a record 31 medals at those Olympic games. And 13 of them came from athletes that I represented. So wow. all of a sudden my company was on the map, like, wait, who is this? You know? And meanwhile, it was all smoke and mirrors, right? It was just a website and me working from home or whatever, right? Well, at the time they had built all the facilities for the Olympics there, including a luge bobsled track. And I was always fascinated by this crazy sport of luge. Can't really tell you why. Just looked like a rocket ride. I was like, I got to try this thing. So now there's a rink, there's a, there's a track in my backyard, no more excuses. Right. So I literally signed up for a, um, uh, learn to luge, uh, core, like a, you know, Saturday afternoon, whatever, right. What? Get on a sled, <laughs> give it a try. So I do. And of course they start you way down the bottom of the track. You wind up going maybe 30 miles an hour or something. So it's, it's safe, but it's like, it's, it was a thrill. I was like, Oh my God, this is so amazing. Right. So now I pour myself into luge. Like, I just want to see what I can do in the sport. I am literally going to. Thursday night, old man, luge guy, beer club, take a couple runs on our luges, sit around, have a beer or two, like, you know, just like guys play basketball or tennis or whatever. Some of these guys go out and they ride the luge stuff. So I'm doing this. I'm getting better at better sport. I'm like, I really got to try this sport. So I wind up going to the coach of the junior team that's based there. These are kids that are 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. What I'm saying, I really want to try the sport. I mean, so I'm in, uh, I'm 30 now. I'm like, you know, all around older here. So the coach says to me, like, I can't put you on this team. Like it's for the young kids. 
And there's only a finite number of kids that can go down the track at any given time. You got to go down one at a time, right? It's not like you're running a marathon. You can have thousands and thousands of people at the same time, right? So there's a finite resource of track time. So I turned to the coach and I say, well, listen, you got 15 kids on your team. I'm sure any given day, Johnny's got a test. Mary doesn't feel good. This kid can't show whatever, right? Like, can I jump in if somebody doesn't show up for practice? This is knock yourself out if you want to, but we're not going to know that until, you know, 20 minutes before practice. Like, I don't know who's coming tomorrow or not. No problem. Well, he would call me almost every day and say, I got a spot for you. And I would jump in my car, go to the track and train with these kids. Literally kids. It's me, 30 years old and kids that are 10, 11, 12. These are like my training partners, right? Start working my way up, working more up. And I eventually make it to the U.S. national team. This is how I claimed to got to the U.S. national team. I earned a spot on the U.S. national team, then on the world team, competed at the world championships, and ultimately made my way to an alternate on the Olympic team all the way through. Meanwhile, I'm still running my company. That's what's funding all of this, right? So when you're on, when you compete in these sports like luge, skeleton, bobsled, you, um, you fly over to Europe and you spend an ex- extended period of time there, right? You, uh, because there just aren't that many tracks around the world. So we would go to Europe, I'd be there for a couple months. I would train all day long while you guys were sleeping. Then I would get back to my room and I would work from like four o'clock till 10, 11 o'clock at night, which was your work day, right? Meanwhile, my teammates are like playing video games or cards or just, you know, killing time. And I'm building this company, right? So I keep doing this for years, right? I eventually retired from sport in 2006. And I decided to pour myself into the company that I'm doing right now. And I pull in a couple of business partners, people I had done some work with. And we begin to grow the company that I have right now. We start representing athletes in all different kinds of sports. You can all Olympic. It all falls within Olympic, but every different sport that you can imagine. Well, a couple of years later, you know, now I'm now I'm like doing Wheaties deals and Nike deals, all these things. All I'm, I'm Jerry Maguire for Olympic athletes. That's literally what I'm doing. I get married. And my wife, as I mentioned, is a surgical nurse, highly specialized, does a lot with robotics. Job is so different from mine. Like literally every day, there's an element of life or death, right? And meanwhile, what am I doing? Like putting the shoes on feet of athletes who really don't need it, or maybe trying to convince, you know, people like you if you eat Wheaties, it'll turn you into the champion that I put on the cover. Like, it was like a little, so I kind of, maybe it was like a midlife crisis of like, you know, what, what am I, what am I giving back to the world? Right. And it was right around this time that the para Olympics were starting to get a little bit more notoriety. So everybody knows what the Olympics are. Well, two weeks after the Olympics end, they host the para Olympics. And these are for athletes with some sort of permanent physical disability. Maybe they're missing an arm or a leg or eyesight, something like that. And I can tell you that these people are every bit as athletic as their Olympic counterparts. It's just that typically they've been through something pretty traumatic just to get to the starting line, let alone the finish line, right? But many of them were also doing a tremendous amount of good giving back to their respective communities, right? Like they were involved in charities and nonprofits and they had these amazing inspirational stories was like, wow, like, and this was just starting to gain some traction. And I thought to myself, well, I like what I'm doing and I'm good at it. So maybe we could help shine a light on more of these people, like what these people are doing. Right. So the first Paralympic athlete I ever represented was, and it was a guy named Marlon Shirley. Uh, this dude had a 
pretty tough start to life. Like, I don't think he ever knew his dad. His mom had some serious troubles of her own, drugs, et cetera. This kid was picked up off the streets of Las Vegas when he was just four years old, put into the foster care system. And due to some negligent care, he suffered a lawnmower accident and he lost his foot in a lawnmower accident. And it was every bit as bad as that sounds. But this guy like rose from those ashes and became this incredible athlete, a Paralympic gold medalist, world record holder, the first man in history to run 100 meters in under 11 seconds on a prosthetic. And then he did an incredible amount of work giving back to the foster care community from where he had come. So we took him on as a client. We got a McDonald's sponsorship and put him on a Visa card. Now we're like shining a light on this kind of guy, right? And that's what really opened my eyes to all these amazing superhero-like people. And I could go on and on with the various different people that we have represented since then, right? And this is all getting me to this triathlon story, right? And we represented so many of them that I began to say they can't all be superheroes. It just doesn't make sense mathematically, right? You're only supposed to have a few superheroes. You can't have, but yet we were representing athlete after athlete. There's incredible people. And it made me kind of wonder, well, how are these people all tapping into this extra layer of human potential? Like, how are they doing this, right? So we began to like, and it wasn't really intentional. It was just you're working closely with them. We're helping to write their speeches and getting them into events and putting them into sponsorships. You get to know these people. And so I began to study them more and like trying to figure out like, how is it that this collection of people seems to be able to tap into this extra gear that most other people don't? And then it made me think, is there any of that in me? Like, is there this extra that I'm not tapping into? A number of our athletes were wounded in military, literally by bombs, lost limbs, things like this, right? So I began to think, well, how can I find out without stepping on the bomb, right? I don't want to do that part, right? Well, how do I like figure this out? And I thought the only way to do that is to really push outside your comfort zone, get uncomfortable and see what happens. And that was the genesis of me saying, let me try an Ironman, right? Never done a triathlon before, not a good swimmer. I hate to run. I'm okay on the bike, but I'm like, all right, I'm going all in. So this happens to be during the pandemic. So I got a little bit more time to exercise. I'm getting killed on my business. I'm trying to keep my mind off of that for a little bit. So, okay, I get a little bit more exercise. So I start getting into this and, you know, you talk to people, you get into Facebook groups or whatever, and people are saying, you're insane if you're going to jump right into an Ironman. Like you should be doing, you know, you should be doing this. If you mind me asking, how old were you at that point? Now I am 54 at that point, like saying, okay, like, which is a great you know, age. That's a great age. You know, and, start uh, training for an Ironman. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Well, and so I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I trained by myself when I could fit it in. Like I still got to operate my business. I still got little kids, you know, that kind of stuff. Like I'm going to figure it out. And, uh, Part of it was good. Part of it was not so good. Lots of little injuries, this, that. But I get to the starting line. My wife was so nervous for me. She just was like, sure. she knew how much effort I had put in for so long. And yet I had a knee injury and like, was this going to work? I, she was so stressed. I'm like, the finish line's in sight. Like, I'm, you know, we're going to get there. Anyway, 
it was a long, 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 long day, but 12 and a half hours later, you get across the finish line. And it, that's you know, incredible. But it's very interesting because the, and I'll, I'll end with this. The biggest thing that I learned while I trained and during that race, I thought about a lot of the Paralympic clients that we work with. It's people that have done an Ironman with one leg, you know, like just all these sorts of things. It really helps you give perspective. And if, if, if they can do that, I can get through this, right? But there was a time in the run when I was eight miles in at 16 miles to go. By the way, up until this point, I had never run more than 15 miles. I never, so I'm like getting in way over my head after this whole thing. And I, I see my family on the course. I see my wife and she's crying and she gives me this big hug and she, I'm in trouble. Like I'm, I am really, really, really hurting. And she hugs me and she, she whispers to me, she says, finish this thing and let's go home. Let's finish this thing and go home. Right. And I ran away from her thinking about her and thinking about all of the sacrifices that she had made for me to be there. Right. I, she picked up a lot of slack of like when I was out training for six hours or wherever, you know, all this stuff, like everything that, that she had done and it made the running a little bit easier. And then I thought about my kids one at a time, like my oldest kid who was in Europe at the time, like thinking like, I can't not finish this. Like she's, she's watching me online right now. Like what are my kids saying? And it was so interesting because when during my training, during part of this race, I'm thinking about all these amazing people that touched my life. But when it really hit the fan and I was really, really hurting, the thing that inspired me the most was the inspiration that I got from my wife. Like what she was doing with her career, what she said to me on the course right there. And then the inspiration I was trying to show my kids. And I'm convinced that's how I got to the finish line because it was, it was like an ugly run, but anyway, we got it done and that's how it happened. So long, long story. I promise I won't talk that long anymore, but that. No, it's, it's great. It's amazing because, you know, again, you can relate everybody's story and, and inspirations come from a different place. You know, while I'll never try for an Ironman, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> so I admire you for that. But, you know, in my adult life, I had, a, I had a child early, you know, when I was 22. And whenever I've faced things in my life that I needed to overcome adversity or do anything, that would be my inspiration. I would always stop and think about my son. He's now a grown man. But it still doesn't stop me to this day. Decisions, when I come to a roadblock, I often still think, what would Jules think of me, you know, his father, knowing that I didn't finish this or, you know what I mean? And it's still an inspiration for me. So I think whatever people need to do to kind of use as their inspiration, you have to identify that and lock in and always use that to get you either to the, not only to the starting line, but through the race, whatever that race is, your fitness journey, your successful journey with business, whatever it is, I think, you know, it could be family, it could be, um, you know, different things. But as long as we always tell people, try to find out your why, what is your why, you know? And then it once you, yeah, you know, if you, you can't answer your why, you don't have one, you're not going to find the inspiration you need to do what it takes to get there. Yeah. I mean, you're so right about that because throughout most of this, I thought that my why was the inspiration that I drew from all of these incredible people. We have another client who doesn't have legs above the knee who has completed an Ironman. And I remember years ago having a conversation with them 
like, oh my gosh, I, the, the run must have been so hard or whatever. We were talking about it. And he said, no, man, the bike was so hard. And I would have thought maybe the bike would have been easier. And I was like, really? Why? And he goes, well, I don't have hamstrings. And it never occurred to me. He doesn't even have the muscles that I have. He can't pull down on the pedals. All he can do is push, 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 push for 112 miles. Right. So the point I'm getting at is I thought that my inspiration to this was all of these incredible people. And I, as you can tell, I can go on and on about how many we've had, right? It's my, my basket of inspirations overflowing. But when I really had to drill down to my why of what was going to get me the next 15 miles to the finish line, that was my wife and kids, like what you're talking about. That was what ultimately the true why was that I didn't even realize until I was at the very, very end of my rope. And it was just, they happened to be on the course. She happened to hug me and say the right thing. And it just focused me on, that's my why. And by the way, that's not your why or anybody else's why. None of that matters. What only matters is what is my personal why. You find that, you're golden. I'm skeptical that that was really like, that's why you made it. Your story like is one about resilience, right? You were the almost guy, right? Yeah. I mean, if yeah. someone, if somebody, if somebody wants to be mean about it, they'd be like, all right, dude, you weren't a good enough hockey player. No, you, you tried listen. really hard, didn't you? Right. You tried really hard. You just weren't good enough. Right. And then some guy who said, oh, well, maybe he's going to be a speed skater. You drop everything. Nice job in New York. I'm sure it's a good job in New York. You probably, you know, your friends over there, you had, you know, you're, you're building a life and you go to Milwaukee do speed skating, which you'd never done before, never put on skates before. So you got the guts to do that. And then you decide, oh, I'm going to try to go to the Olympics in speed skating. Well, you made that decision, what, like two weeks? And so you do that and you do that for a couple of years. And over the couple of years, at some point you're figuring out, ah, shit, I'm not good at this. I'm good enough at this either. <laughs> like, like, it's not like there's always That's somebody hard. better. Yeah. And it's a hard pill to swallow. Right, it is. right. And so, and, but you swallow it, and then you you decide, oh, you know what? This losing stuff sounds good. And look, you're 30 years old. You've never done it before. Everybody's looking at you like you're an idiot. That is true. That is true. <laughs> and, you go, and you go on that journey. Like, dude, resilience is... I mean, your middle name, <laughs> you, you had, you had, you had some kind of crazy resilience way before you got married, way before you had kids. So my question really is like, where do you think that comes from? Where does that confidence, where does that like, not, you don't get angry. I mean, it doesn't sound like you get angry with yourself. You don't sound like I got cheated. I was actually better than this guy. I should have made it, but the coach didn't like me or some kind of nonsense. Like you just keep going and you find something else. And I mean, to me, amazing that I, I want, where, where, where is you want to know the root. where does that come from? <laughs> yeah. Where does that come from? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I appreciate that a lot and, and you're right. Uh, um, I've had a lot, I've had more, athletic disappointments than success. Well, you've had a huge amount of success, but you know, there's always, almost always somebody better, right? So if you were in, in speed skating, if you didn't win the gold, 
you know, you know, you're like, ah, but you want to, so, so there's always somebody better, but you just never, you never said anything like, oh, well, it was because of this guy, or I had this injury. And I'm sure there were injuries. I'm sure there was bad luck. I'm sure there was stuff that happened, you know, a coach that didn't like you. If he had put you like all this kind of stuff, you don't mention any of that. You don't make any excuses. You're just like, this is what I did. And then I went here and I turned, you know, went to professional and then, well, well, I was doing this and then I realized, well, maybe I'm not going to win the gold medal in speed skating. So, and I'm pretty good at this. And so I'm going to do like, you're just, you just keep moving forward. Like, I guess, what do you attribute to that to? Where do you get that mindset? At what point did you realize that that's kind of like a superpower? You know, I think it is just a belief that I'll figure it out. Right. Um, and not and and what I've come to learn over all of this is I didn't quite get the targets that I was shooting at, right? I didn't hit the middle of the bullseye, but I wasn't too far off, right? In the sense that where I am now, I, I had I had dreamed of being this professional athlete. I dreamed of being a gold medalist, and and I don't really like to say it out loud, but it's true. But Probably, I wasn't good enough. Obviously, I wasn't good enough, right? Not for lack of trying, but I wasn't. Um, but where I have wound up is incredibly blessed. I mean, I own this company that is neck deep in some of the best athletes in the world. And I have had unbelievable moments with champion athletes in more different sports, you know. So I didn't quite get exactly what I wanted, but. I got something pretty good and I'm, and I'm super grateful for that. Right. But I think it was, I think it was just, um, this commitment that I, I'll figure it out. Just keep working hard, just keep going forward and it's gonna, you know, fall into place. And I, I do believe that I do also try to tell my kids that, right. If you just keep putting in the effort and, and frankly, it's like working out, right. You go in the gym, you can work out as hard as you want on the first day, but you're not going to see result. You see it with the consistency of effort, right? And as you said before, someday you wake up, you just don't feel good or you're sick or you can't do this or whatever. It doesn't matter, right? Like tomorrow's another day to do it again. So I think it just comes from that belief in effort. And it may not necessarily get you exactly, but it's going to yield, you know, good things if you keep- it, It's going to put you on a great journey, right? I mean, because you've had, you've had a pretty great journey. <laughs> I, I come from a very- um, kind of conservative white collar family. And uh, my dad has passed away now, was supportive of me very much so, but to a certain point, right? Like I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to go play junior hockey and see how good I could be at hockey. That's not happening. You're going to college, right? And and I, and I did. And, and so he didn't really understand throwing away this career that you're building in New York City. When I left New York City, I think I was 23 years old and I had 18 full-time salespeople working underneath me, like making six figures. And it was like, my dad's like, you're what? You're going to be a speed skater, you know? But in my mind, I just, that window is going to close and I can come back to this later. But I remember having a conversation with one of my brothers. It's like, man, me and dad, we just don't, don't quite. And he, for him, it was so black and white. For me, it wasn't. And he said to me, he goes, but don't you see like, Dad's not a risk taker. You are. You're willing to bet on yourself. 
And he has taken a conservative path and was a great provider. And we had a good living and my parents loved me and we had what we needed. He killed it, right? He did great on paper, right? But it wasn't really the life that I wanted. And I think that's where we diverged. And I think it was just a, this confidence in continuous effort, right? I didn't know quite where it was going to go. And I don't know, maybe there's still another pivot in the road. Who knows, right? But, but that's, I think, what has led to it. Do, do you think that came from, from hockey? Because hockey's, in a lot of ways, hockey's an effort sport, the way I understand it. I mean, I was never a great hockey player. I didn't play it, but I, I know that the conditioning in hockey is brutal. It's almost like wrestling. And, 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 you That's know. a mystery of the family as well. I have a couple older brothers. My dad never played hockey. My brothers were soccer players. One time I saw my cousin play hockey and I'm like, I want to do that. And my parents, of course, they do what any other parents do. Oh, okay, they put you in a class or whatever. You give it a try. It's a phase. It'll be over. It was never over. I want to do that. I want to. And I remember one time later in life, my dad, my dad sat me down as I was older and he said, I could never get my head around how you could stand in the driveway over a piece of linoleum and stick handle a puck back and forth for hours. He's like, what are you thinking about? Like, what are you doing? You know, just once again, you know, because in my mind, I was like, if I keep doing this enough, I'm going to get better than the next guy. And then I'm going to make the team. And then I'm going to make the high school team. And then I'm going to make the college team and the Olympic team. And I'm going to win my gold medal. You know, I don't know. It's just, just keep putting the effort and it'll pay off. But so I don't really know exactly where that came from, but I do believe in that principle you know every day if you're putting out that effort something's gonna happen that's it i I think the takeaway here is again to recap you have to find what your why is why you want to even begin something right because if you just worry we always say if you worry about the finish line you're setting yourself up for failure you're going to find an excuse like oh i i i don't have the resources i don't i don't have access to i don't have the finances i don't you're never going to do what it takes, but as long as you like, it sounds like along your journey, you've, you, you found out, you've made a decision. You want to get into something and you just started doing some due diligence, learning about what it's going to take to get there. <laughs> so you're telling your story earlier about uh, how I, how I might ended up on the same path with you. So I used to love roller skating. And then in my twenties, I got into rollerblading <laughs> and I was re- really good. Oh, and by the way, I loved watching win- the winter Olympics and my favorite sport to watch was luge. If I would have just made the commitment, I can do this. I can do this. Where can I train? And I lived in Chicago at the time. So (laughs) I couldn't. Well, you know, it's really interesting because we were, we were talking about habits and and likely a habit that I have pulled out of that. And I have this conversation with a lot of my athletes when they go into speaking gigs and, and these sorts of things that we've talked about how the time to dream is at night when you're like going to sleep, the day's over. The noise of day-to-day distractions have been turned down. And it's just you and your thoughts of what do I want to do? And you can do whatever you want. You can, that's the time to dream, right? But when the alarm goes off in the morning and you get out of bed, that's the time to execute, right? Now it's the time. What do I need to do today, right now, in this moment, this morning, to get one tiny step closer to where I ultimately want to be? And this is the same kind of thing that all these athletes do. They're not focused on four years from now. They're not focused on this, this winter or whenever they're competing. They're focused on the workout I got to do today. Not even this afternoon, the one I got to do in the morning. Can I put that in? And it's interesting, right? Now my athletic days are behind me, but you asked me a habit. One of the things that I actually do 
I try to do it at least twice a week, but I definitely do it once a week. Is I do a workout on a on a bicycle, stationary bike, where I will ride pretty much as hard as I can for a minute, and then rest for thirty seconds. And I try to do that hard one minute rest for thirty seconds. And the goal is to make it to thirty minutes of doing that, and then the next time start over, but turn the wattage up so it's continually getting harder. And the only thing I'm trying to do, and I have some good days and bad days when I'm doing this, the only time I think I'm trying to do is get through the one I'm in right now. The one repetition I'm in right now, can I get through the next 37 seconds, the next 21 seconds, the next eight seconds before I get that 30-second bite of rest? That's the only thing I'm trying to focus on. Because if I think about, oh my God, I'm tired already. There's no way I'm getting through a half hour of this. Forget it. The workout's gone before you've even started, right? And it's just this exercise of breaking down something hard into bite-sized pieces. Because can I get through another 17 seconds before my legs fall off? Yeah, I could do that. Like, then just think about that, you know? And so, well, I don't really have this conversation with very many people at all, right? And when I do, they're like, wait, why do you do this to yourself? That, that sounds like it sucks, you know? And it does at the moment. But then again, you think, okay, because I often think in the mornings when I'm doing these workouts, right, there's an opportunity right here, right now to do a good workout or to quit, right? It's right. It's only on me. Nobody cares. It's just me in my basement doing this stupid workout. Nobody in the world even knows I'm doing it. Nobody cares. It's just one opportunity for me to test myself, right? And honestly, I don't make it every time. There are times I'm like, done, whatever. But like you said, you get tomorrow to try again. But more often than not, if I'm really able to focus on just right now, I think you surprise yourself what you can endure. You know, and that's that's a habit that I think I've taken from athletics and I'm hanging by a thread, but I'm trying to hold it on to. No, I love it. I know we're gonna start wrapping up here, but appreciate it. I know we went over time, but this has been fantastic. Before we wrap up, we don't have to get too technical or specific, but what are your like eating habits? Do you have a discipline? Do you eat meat? Are you a vegetarian? Do you, you know, what do you do at the end of the day? When's your last meal? Stuff like that. Um, I eat pretty cleanly. There isn't anything in particular. That I, don't, I don't eat much red meat uh, once in a while, right? But in general, I would say I just eat. Um, I'm constantly trying to make a little better choice, right? Not a dramatically like I'm never going to eat this again or that again, right? But like, okay. Could I have a little less of this? And those things I think are so manageable when you're just trying to make minor changes rather than these big changes. Um, I do, I probably don't really have my first meal until like one o'clock. Like I will get up and work out and then I'll have a, um, a protein kind of drink, which generally holds me into the afternoon. So I'm not, I drink a ton of water, uh, but I don't really start eating until early afternoon. But other than that, you know, I, I eat probably a lot. But I burn a lot too, right? And uh, you know, I drink a little bit here, or there. Don't drink a whole lot. I, I guess if I had to put it into one word, it's really just moderation. You know, I'm not opposed to eating anything, but I don't eat a whole lot of too much. Uh, wow, another person, Marty. One o'clock. There's a couple things that are con- that that seem to be uh, themes that 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 we're running into. One is uh, I drink a lot of water. Uh, two is I drink a lot of water early. Uh, do that first thing in the morning, I'll, eat, I'll drink a liter of water before I really have even started my workout. Yeah. And there's a, I, 
I wouldn't say it's, 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 uh, there are a number of people who don't have breakfast when a lot of people have breakfast. So it's, it's not all people. Some people, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to eat a little something as soon as I, I, you know, get up within an hour of waking up. I like to, but we, we, we definitely have, uh, we definitely have heard that. So, but the consistent theme is water and, Water early and a lot of water. That's yeah, that's yeah, water. yeah. How about the bedtime habits right before you hit the sack? Anything you do every night? Not really. It's we got little kids, and it's like, you know, it's a nightly battle that they're too tired and brushing teeth, and they're trying to run away from you or whatever. So yeah, there's not a whole lot. Like my time is early in the morning. I'll get up. I typically get up at five, and I you know have some time to work out, and then I get into doing my work and stuff. But uh, once we get to dinner time and thereafter, it's, you know, family time, the kids trying to help my wife around the house. And then, you know, there's really, it changes every single day. We do try, we do try to get to bed 1030. I'm usually trying to go to sleep by 11 and I'm getting up at six. So, you know, I really, I, I'd like to get more sleep, but unfortunately that's, that's, that's probably the biggest change I could make to health is if I did sleep more, so I just don't have a whole lot of time for it. Yeah, I used to be, I mean, if I didn't get eight hours solid, I was a nightmare. But now, I couldn't sleep eight hours if I wanted to. I mean, I don't think I, I could either. At six yeah. hours, seven hours, I'm up. I mean, I'm, my body just won't, won't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's just old age, right? <laughs> I guess. I guess so. Well, folks, we're going to wrap it up here. Patrick, I can't thank you enough. Wow. I mean, very inspirational. Love your story. Folks, if you like what you heard and you want to learn more about Patrick, I'm going to have all the note, all the links in the show notes and uh, reach out if you have any questions. Uh, try not to bombard you with questions, Patrick, but if a guest has something and we can't answer, I'm going to be emailing you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, sure. No problem, guys. I appreciate it very much. Of course. Of course. All right, everybody. If you haven't done so, please hit subscribe on the podcast, like this episode. Um, and if you haven't done so, make sure you sign up for our newsletter to find out about some content that we have coming up in the near future. You might be excited for, uh, ping me if you have any questions other than that, we'll look forward to catching with you guys sometime soon. Take care. Bye-bye.